our dear brother, Paul, on his journey of all journeys, uh, on the ship in which he starts the journey as a prisoner and as a slave. And by the time this journey is coming to its conclusion, he is basically in charge of the ship. He's in charge of everything. The centurion is looking to him. The captain of the ship is looking to him. Everyone on the ship is looking to this man in chains, the prisoner, who, through the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, who is so anointed and has such power that the entire ship is now under his control. And I said to you, this is a lesson to us about what it means when God puts you where he wants you to be. I don't care what the conditions are in your life. I don't care what it is that you're suffering. I don't care what the issues are, whether it's illness or finance or relationships. I don't care what it is when God puts you where he wants you to be. And that's the key. Where he puts you when he, where he wants you to be, he will bless you and exalt you. Can you imagine? You want proof of that? How could it be that a man in chains on this ship takes the ship over and gives instructions as to how the ship should be led? This is an awe-inspiring story. And really, this, this is a story which should, which should give you great comfort in your life. And so, let's begin still with uh, 27 before we begin 28. 27 first. And talk about verse 21 take from there on. And remember now, this, this ship has been tossed around. They're going to go 14 days, possibly even more, without any food. Imagine. The ship, all the sails are down. It's just being bounced around all over that ocean. Verse 21, after the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Can you imagine giving that message? 276 of you out on this ocean, good news and bad news. The good news, you're all going to live. The bad news, there's no ship. Now, anybody normally would hear that would go, what is he, nuts? He, we're going to die. We can't survive without a ship. But you see how God works. Just think how he said this, too. And just imagine, all the time that he's speaking this, he's in chains. He's in chains. And so, but listen, just imagine if you were listening to this, as I said last week, this short Jewish man, only barely over five feet tall from what we know from writers, uh, make, say, make this statement. Because I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed last night. And this is how I know. Because I spoke to the Lord. Because his angel came to me in the middle of the night. Because he gave me a vision. And this is what I want you all to get, the vision. Last night an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve. That's how I can say something like that. Because God... The God who I serve, whose I am. I love that. Whose I am. I don't just serve God. 
I am his. Said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Have you noticed in your life, your early days, perhaps before you gave your life to the Lord, you had godly parents or godly grandparents or godly aunts and uncles? Did you ever notice how, how you seemed to be blessed when you were around them? That there were blessings that came from them to you? Things that you didn't deserve? Maybe you weren't right yet with God and yet God seemed to elevate you and bless you. And you wonder why? It's because God, in his great blessing of these special people, puts the blessing out of almost like an umbrella. And you see it here. This whole ship is going to be spared because God is blessing Paul. The blessings of God for Paul will permeate this entire ship. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. There it is. Can you imagine? Now you've got an idea of what this man's faith was like. We're gonna, the whole ship will be destroyed. It's gone. Uh, and we're going to run aground. Uh, but I know God spoke to me, and I believe him, and he said not one of us will perish. That's the kind of faith we want. And so what we see here is the role of the Christian as an encourager. And for me, I, there's four, four points that come out of this lesson right at this point on encouragement. And this is something I would drill home to us. This is how God wants us to serve. God wants you to be an encourager. Okay? I don't know where that's going to be for you, whether it's in a hospital room, or whether it's going to be in work, or whether it's going to be in the family table. I have no idea how God will place you. Right? And I know many of us are not called to go to India, or called to go to Africa. I know for most of us, it's like, God, don't, call, don't send me there. You know, I'm very good in Naples. I find that I can do my best work in Naples. I'm not that good in Indian. You know, but you see, God knows. He's not going to call you to do something that you're not meant to do. He knows what your talents are and where you're called. Some of you here have tremendous gifts with the sick. I told you that some of you in your illnesses preach to me. Preach to me. Louder than sermons preach to me because I see how you handle your sickness. Well, God has called you to be an encourager to the body of the church, to the world. So let's talk about that. First, what did Paul do here? He shared God's word with them in verses 22 to 28. He told them that God spoke to him. The Lord gave him a special message, and he delivered it. He shared the testimony to a storm-tossed world. Okay? A testimony that's shared to a storm-tossed world. A world that has no hope. And God's called you to share that testimony, just like he did here. Secondly, he warned them, verses 27 through 32. He warned them that for two weeks this ship was 500 miles off course, headed for the rocks. He gave a warning. That's the role of the Christian, to give a warning to the world. Third, he set a good example. 
He just didn't talk the talk. He walked the walk. He encouraged them to eat. You're going to see that in verses 33 to 38. And not only that, when he encouraged them to eat, he broke bread and he prayed and blessed. Blessed it. Now, I told you this so many times that one of the most simple things you can do to advance the gospel anywhere is when you go out to eat, say grace in the restaurant. All right? Say grace in the restaurant. Now, you don't have to do a 10-minute oration. All right? You know, you don't have to do raise your hands and stand up and do a 10-minute oration. A simple prayer. When I was 9, 10 years old, my family didn't have any money. Once a year, we would go out for our birthdays to a, a diner, and we would, we would celebrate our birthdays at a diner, which for us was a restaurant. And my father would, would make a prayer. My father's prayers were, they weren't 10 minutes long, but we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> we covered a lot of ground, and I remember in these prayers, being 10 years old, going like this, you know? <laughs> You know, and I know some of you have been there, but I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to make a spectacle of yourself. But let me tell you something. I, my son's pastor said that for 40 years he would go out to restaurants, and when he would go out to eat, he would say to the waiter or waitress, we're about to say grace. Is there anything here that we can pray for you about? And he said only one time in 40 years that a person say no. All right? That's the world, okay? They're just dying to hear someone that has a word of encouragement, someone to give them a lifeboat, someone to show them hope. That's a, a, a testimony. And you can all do it. You don't have to go to Africa. You can do it here in Naples. And so here he is on this, can you imagine? There's no sails left. There's no equipment left. Everything's been thrown overboard. And he's breaking bread and saying grace. Boy, this is a movie I'd like to see. You know? Can you just imagine? And finally, Paul, through his prayers, was involved in the rescue of the entire ship. You see how God honors godly people? People that step up. God will honor you when you step up. So this is a tremendous lesson for us here as we see this giant in the middle of a storm. And by the way, here's the other thing. God, oh, don't put me in a storm. How could this happen to me? How could this be me? God, I'm serving you. I've dedicated my life to you. God, I'm a good person. You know I'm good. Why do I have to go through this? You never hear him say that. And they paint, they paint him with warts. This doesn't come across as a perfect picture of Paul. We've talked about that how we see his personality. We know what his personality is like. But yet you see a person who's so sold out to God, so, so sold out to Jesus, that he doesn't complain because he understands that his life has purpose. And that's what we want. So let's continue on in verse 27. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings and found it was 90 feet deep. By the way, for those of you who want accuracy in your writing, is this good enough for you? Okay? Is this good enough for you? For those of you who say, well, this just comes out of an oral tradition, this can't be, 
It's not what the not what historians say. Historians tell us that this is incredibly detailed, accurate writing. That they've gone back and actually used Luke's uh, travel logs to find archaeological findings. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. Do you understand why they're doing this? What they're doing is they put all the anchors at the back, whereas normally you would, you would anchor a boat from the front. They put it in the back because as this boat is being driven forward, they're hoping that the anchors will suddenly just catch long enough to keep the boat from uh, blasting apart as it hits the rocks. It's a very delicate thing they're trying to do here. And so he, he lays it out in, in incredible detail. And what happens? In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. You like that? There's your pals. There's your friends in the world. You know? Hey, we had a good time last night. We had a party. Everything's good. You're beautiful. You have money. You're riding high. These are my pals. Oh, oh, oh. This ship is going down. Good luck to you. We're off the ship. And we're taking the lifeboats. Why do you think he, why do you think this happened? It's an example of the world. This is the world. You want to see what the world is like as distinguished from the church? This is what you get. This is what happens. This is what happens when people totally are consumed with themselves, with themselves, and not with the welfare of other people. Here they were. You would think sailors, sailors, don't they have the, the, the law of the sea? Men, women, and children first? What happened to that? We were not here. Not on this ship. Me first. Good luck to you. Good luck to you. And, and what I love here is Paul delivering, again, his sermon, his prophecy to Julius the centurion. Uh, and listen what he says in verse 31. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, and remember now, this is the guy in chains. All right? This is the short Jewish guy in chains who says to him, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. Whoa. We all have to stay together. If one of us gets off this ship, God's promise will not stand. God's promise will not stand. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. How do you like that? Is that faith? This is not a godly man yet. This is a man of integrity. This is not a Christian. But he was so inspired by a Christian. He was so affected by a Christian that it changed his thinking. Okay? This is important. This man, this centurion, cuts the lifeboat. Let's the lifeboat descend. Now, we're all in it. We're all in it together. We're, we have faith that the God of Paul is going to deliver us. That's our faith. That's assurance. That's the kind of faith you want. That's the kind of encourager you want that you so delivered a message that they are in spellbound approval. And here he does. He cuts, he cuts the lifeboat and lets it fall away. And so then verse 33. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. 
For the last 14 days, he said, you have been, <coughs> you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Can you imagine making a, a promise like this? Gigantic waves. Gigantic wind. No equipment left. No sails left. No lifeboats left. Everything's gone. And you say there, God spoke to me, not a hair of your head will fall. <laughs> what can I add to that? And you know what? That's God makes that promise to us. God makes that promise to us that when we put ourselves in his way and we pray, God says, I am protecting you. I have you covered. You don't know. I know what's best for you. I have you on this journey. And so those of us who we sometimes we just obsess and obsess and obsess about our future and our life instead of just saying, God, it's yours. It's you. I release it to you, God. I'm your child. I know you have me protected. Just like you protected Paul. Just like you protected the 276. And every single one of them, every single one was saved. And after he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. That's the last act. That's the last act of giving it all away. No sails, no equipment, no furniture, no cargo, no food. It's all gone. Now we're completely resting in our faith and promises of God. We don't really know, but we're putting our faith in God because of this one man, this one man who seems to be so wired in from God that we, we, we can't deviate from what he says. And so now the question becomes for us, what are the general lessons that we get about storms? Because there are lessons for us to learn about storms. There's lessons for us here to learn about storms. And the first lesson that I see here is that storms reveal character. Do you want to know what kind of character people have? Do you want to see what their flaws are? Do you want to see where their strengths are? Watch them in a storm. And storms come in all shapes and sizes. Illness. Finance relationships you put the word in there that involves great persecution or stress and what do we see well what we see here is we see the world and we see that the world will wash their hands and walk away from you they'll have nothing to do with you they'll bail out from you just when you think these are the people who you spent your time with and you had special relationships I'm warning you right now that's the world that's the world but look but look at when, when we trust God as Paul did. When you see someone, a Christian, who is really in tune with God, you just see them elevated in a storm. And I know you felt that way. Haven't you seen people who have gone through great health crises? And you just stand there and you go, I can't believe what, how these people handle this. 
or you see people in great financial distress and you watch how they handle it and they don't blame God and they still serve God and they still go to church and they still encourage others and they still serve in church you know what I'm talking about you've seen it well that's a lesson from the storm the second lesson is some storms come when we disobey God hmm. they were told not to go on this voyage they were told to dock this ship for the winter but they didn't want to listen to that after all they had greater advice than God they spoke to the ship owner and they spoke to the ship captain and so they decided to go on well many times in our lives we bring the storms to ourselves we disobey God we go beyond the boundaries we know how we should act we know the standards that God wants from us and we tend to nah, that's too constricting that's old-fashioned I don't have to abide by that I can go here I can go there after all I'm a sophisticated person it says hey said today about going into the donut shop right I just like to hang around the sights and the smells of the donut. What harm could befall going in and just looking at these lovely donuts? And that's what happens. That's what happens. And so we bring the storms into our own life. Third, and this is important, the worst storms cannot hinder the purposes of God. Amen? The worst storms. When you're a child of God and you think that the world is coming to an end, that everything is befalling you, I want to tell you something. God is still with you. He's in the middle of that storm. He's on that ship with you. You don't know it. You don't realize it. But He's right there. Because just as you've given your heart to God, God has taken you and implanted you as part of the body of Christ. And so I want to assure you that these storms, when we are with the Lord Jesus, these storms will not hinder the purpose of God in our life. In fact, it will elevate us in many instances to the purpose exactly that he called us for. It will elevate us. And then lastly, these storms give us an opportunity to serve God as a witness. Paul, on that ship, in chains witnessed to 276 people he witnessed to a roman centurion he witnessed to the soldiers he witnessed to the sailors he witnessed to the other prisoners if you don't think that there were other people on that ship who came to the lord because of what they saw then you're foolish let me tell you something the holy spirit was all over that ship all over that ship it was a powerful a powerful experience and so god used him used him to carry on his message right in the middle of the storm. And so let's, let's continue with verse 39. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach. And by the way, that bay is still there. It's called in Malta uh, uh, the Bay of St. Paul. If you go there, you will see this bay clearly marked off and uh, the very site where they ran aground where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. 
They hoisted the foresail in the, to the wind. Can you imagine? The, you know, you want a precise description. He's even telling you which sails they put up. And made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar, just like he said it would. And ran aground. And the bow struck fast and would not move. And the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to pre prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. You understand why? Under Roman law, if you're a Roman soldier and you're given, you're given a control of a prisoner and that prisoner escapes, you pay with your life. You pay with your life. So you, can you just imagine this scene? The ship's coming apart. The winds are pounding. The waves are pounding. You're reaching for, for planks to fall on. And the Roman soldiers are contemplating killing you. It's unbelievable. Now, my uh, uh, author error here, I left off two verses. So you'll have to turn to your Bible for the last two verses, 43 and 44. Uh, and verse 43 said, But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. You see, Julius, this man of integrity, this centurion, how God touched him, even though he yet... We don't know the story about Julius. We don't know where he went, but it seems to me I would not be surprised to find out that Julius became a Christian. Julius spared, spared them. None of them were killed because Julius intervened. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were, were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, every one reached land in safety. Extraordinary story. One of the great stories of God's mercy and sh on, on, a, on a sailing adventure. And so what we're going to see now as we come to the last chapter, chapter 28, we're going to see the culmination of Paul's life as a missionary. And one of the unfortunate things for us in Acts is that we leave Acts at the end not knowing precisely what happens to Paul. What do we do know? We do know that he gets to Rome, and you'll hear that. We do know that he will go on trial in Rome. We know that that trial took about two years. That trial, imagine, that trial began in A.D. 61. Remember, folks, he's already waited two years for that trial in Caesarea. He's now been on this voyage. This voyage now is, has taken about four months. He's going to get to Rome, and he's going to be on trial for two more years. So now we're going to go from A.D. 61 to A.D. 63. Do you think at any point in time, this guy says, after all these years in jail, God, when will it end? When will it end? But you're going to see how God used him in the chains, in the prison, in handcuffs, how God used those handcuffs to elevate the gospel. And that's the great message for us here. Also, what we're going to see is that after he was released, he will, re he will be released from prison. He will prevail. We don't know precisely how, but he will be released, and he will continue his missionary uh, work for another three or four years. He will then be imprisoned again a last time. Um, and he will be sent back to Rome, and this time it's going to be a very different story. And this time he will be executed, he will be beheaded. Uh, and unfortunately, many of, the, of his friends will 
abandon him. And we'll talk about that uh, as we, we bring this story to a rising conclusion. And so Acts 28, first of all, uh, verse 1. Malta. Why would God choose this island, this spit of sand? Why here? Good question. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. Now, the islanders showed us unusual kindness. Do you think it was because you're such a beautiful, winsome person? There's 276 people here. Most of them are prisoners. Why would they go out? Why? Because God touched them. The blessings of God on Paul. Strangers opening their hearts coming out, showing them kindness on this island. I didn't know any of them. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us because it was raining and cold. You know what struck me here? It's not bad enough that we were shipwrecked. It's not bad enough that we've, we've been pounded for two weeks. It's not bad enough we haven't eaten. Now I, I have to go into the water and it's rainy and it's cold. Can you imagine? It's just an astonishing story. They, and so what happens? They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. I'm going to tell you what struck me about that. Here he is, the leader of the ship. Effectively, he's in charge of all these people. God has given him a gift and a ministry. They look at him. He gets off the island. Does he say, you know, you guys should bring that firewood right over here. This would be a good spot for it. I'll stand here and make sure everything comes together good. I'll be in charge of, you know, I'll be in charge of seeing and managing the firewood. You guys go out and pick it up. No. He's a servant. You want to see the heart of a Christian? He's a worker. He doesn't just give orders. He goes out with his hands and he works. I was struck by this. He's out there gathering firewood, bringing it in. This is a man, this is a man who understands that in order to be a, a true ministry of the gospel, you have to live with your life. People look at you. Are you just a lot of hot air? Or do you execute it with your life? And so what happens? Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. And as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and showed no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or to suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual, happened to him. They changed their mind and said he was a god. Now, let's talk about bad theology. Okay? Let's talk about taking a verse out of context. Let's take one verse out of context and build a theology on it. You want to do that? We could sit here all day. We could have all kinds of cults. We could have all kinds of theologies. I'll just take a verse out and I'll build a theology on it. How's this? Paul sticks his hand in, a, in a, a bunch of wood. A snake bites him, and he shakes it off. Well, what does that mean to me? That means to me that if I'm a godly person, I can pick up snakes. 
In fact, why don't I do it in church? We'll just bring some snakes in, and I'll hold the snakes, and that will be part of my worship. Folks, that's satanic. All right? Let's see what Jesus said about this. All right? You don't have to listen to Brother John. What does Jesus say about it? Turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. You remember this? Verse 5. When Satan brought Jesus out to the wilderness through the three temptations, and then he brings him up to the highest point in Jerusalem. He brings him up and says to him, read it, Matthew chapter 4, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. And by the way, Satan knows the Bible. Okay? Well, he knows how to use the Bible for his purpose. He doesn't really understand the, the full theology of, of, and the harmonization of it. But he knows how to use it for his whole purpose. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and you, they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. But Jesus answered and said, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Tempt not the Lord. You don't throw yourself off a building because you think angels will come and pick you up. You don't put your hand in a pile of snakes because you think you're a godly person and snakes won't, won't kill you. God gave you a brain. He gave you an intellect. God, he, he told you through, through your education, through your experience, you don't put your hand on a stove and you're going to defy God. This again goes beyond breaking the boundaries of God. This is evil. Yes, sister. That's right. But you have to understand that's how Satan, Satan, it's a pride thing. See, Satan, he may know it, but he doesn't want you to think he knows it. You know, it's like this. You know, if you were really a good Christian, would you act the way you do as soon as you walk outside of church? I've seen you. You know you go to church, and you're so pious. But I saw how you drive in the parking lot. <laughs> I saw what happened when that older lady cut you off. <laughs> I saw what you were about to do. They don't see it. Your friends inside the church don't. But I see it. That's how he works. That's how, that's how he did it with Jesus. If you are. He knew full well who he was. He knew who he was. But that's G that's Satan. That's exactly how Satan. Uh, what, what was Satan trying? You mean at, at with Jesus? The, well, you have to understand something. Uh, Satan does not have foreknowledge. Okay, Satan doesn't have foreknowledge. Satan's desire was to see Jesus' ministry wrecked. And how much better wreckage can you get than the Son of God giving in to the Son of Perdition? You want anything worse than that? I've abandoned my ministry because Satan basically has dared me to do it? How can we as Christians then live our lives if the Son of God couldn't put up with him and couldn't withstand that attack? How are we? Absolutely, it's a fantastic, a fantastic ruse by Satan. Well, and you see how good people make the same mistake with snakes? So really, folks, and I've, you know, 
I, I mean, I'm not condemning these people. I feel sorry for them. They're good people. All right? They're, but they're making a serious mistake in their theology. Be wary of bad theology. Okay? Be wary of bad theology. So continuing on. There was a, an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. By the way, this is pretty impressive, isn't it? This is a guy, a prisoner. A guy off a prison ship. I'm going to the chief, the chief, it's like going to the governor's house. The governor is inviting me for dinner. You see again, I mean, are you, have, are you struck the way I'm struck at how God honors? God honors his own. You don't have to worry. You know, a lot, of, a lot of us say, oh, I wish the church would recognize my gifts. Oh, I have, I have so many gifts, and I'm only being used to 10% of my potential. I'm just, oh, I could preach. Oh, I could go on missions. There's so much that I, you know, and God bless. I mean, really, I, I say this. Thank God for the gifts that we have, okay? I thank God. But you know what's more important than the gifts? Humility. Humility, a servant's heart, a servant's heart. And you want to see what happens here? When you have the gifts, you don't have to worry about it. The church recognizes it. God recognizes it. God elevates. Do you think he thought when he's on the ship, ready for the ship to go down? Oh, this is good because in about two days, I'll be having dinner with the governor on the island. <laughs> this is perfect. This is all in my plan. And this will be a good. Yes, brother. Yes, Luke is with him. Luke is with him every step of this voyage. Yes, Carrie. Shouldn't, shouldn't we as believers really trust God? Right? Absolutely, brother. That's exactly what this is all about. He hit it on the head. If you go out of here learning nothing else today but this, trust God as believers that he will take care of every step of your life. I don't care if the ship goes down. I don't care if the ship goes down. God's with you. He'll protect you. Nothing shall befall you. He will protect you every step of the way. And so here he is sitting there now having dinner with the governor of the island. And so you say, well, why did he come to rest on this spit of land? Well, here's why. Here's why. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. This is serious disease. During this period of time, you die from dysentery. Okay? This isn't a cold. You see how God intervenes? That's why he came there. He touches him and he heals him. And then what happened? Well, when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. Can you imagine? It must have been a mile long. Everybody on that island who had some disease, who was in some way affected in any way by something physically wrong with them, went to see Paul. And Paul, he says, they, they honored us in many ways. And when this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. Circle that. Now you want to see how God honors you? Not only are you going to be eating dinner with the governor, not only are you going to be extolled as a, as a, as a person of merit, but God's going to give you gifts and use those gifts for the advancement of the gospel. God's going to use you People will be cured. People will be healed. People will be encouraged in the voyage of your life. And that's what we pray that God gives us the vision to see. And that's why this ship came to rest in Malta. I have no idea 
how many thousands of people came to Jesus because of that man being shipwrecked. But you can rest assured that they did. You can rest assured that they did. And so this is an incredible voyage. We're going to stop right now and close. And next week we will finish up Acts. We'll finish up and talk about where what happened to Paul and what these implications are for the church and for us. Let's bring it to a close. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful for the words you've given us, how they've touched our heart, Lord. I ask you that these words be multiplied and reflected upon this week in all of our hearts. And now, Lord, I also ask for a wall of protection around all these dear people. Protect them in every way and bring them back safely again next week so that we can continue the study of the word. We put all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all. See you next week.